Good morning, um, brothers and sisters in Christ. I will be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is the word of God. Thank you so much, Alice. Appreciate you reading that. I don't know how many of you were here when Pastor Delano Robinson gave a message. He's given a few before, but I was thinking about what he left everybody with, and I'm going to start with that too. Um, you might recall <clears throat> that he was describing a missionary who had come back from overseas who had given uh, an entire life to a culture that was not his own and then came back to the place that was his home. And after he got off the boat and others were receiving individuals and welcoming them home, there was nobody there to welcome this missionary home. And somebody was asking them later, were you sad uh, about that? Nobody was here to receive you at your home. And he said, but this is not my final home. This isn't my final resting place. And he had a perspective then, too, of we have an idea of what home is, uh, but he knew that something still was to come, and he was looking for another kind of home. And I think we all long for home. Uh, we, we have different ideas of what that means. It could be for you when I say, where, where is your home? That could be for you a place, maybe a geography, and you think of mountains, or you think of water, or you think of flat and corn, or, or it could be food that comes to mind, or, or people. Uh, some of you feel like you have no home. You're constantly going from one place to the next, but you still have a sense of what home is or what it ought to be. 
And Paul says that's not by mistake. In fact, in this text, he says we are all longing for home. And if you have what you would call a good home, that's just a small picture of the home that is yet to come. And any longings and desires we have in our hearts are simply shadows of the substance that is to come. So he says that makes a huge difference in how we live our lives now and how we hold on to hope in the future as well. So let's take a look at what that looks like. And he starts here in the opening verses, and we'll just look first at verses 1 through 5, suggesting that our earthly existence is temporary, but our heavenly existence is eternal. He starts mentioning that really in verse 1 pretty straightforward. If we, we know that if the earthly, earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So it's worth noting that our physical existence actually does matter. What we call the gospel, the good news of Christ, cares about physical things. You know, a couple Sundays ago we prayed the Lord's Prayer. Give us today our daily bread. That's something that we're supposed to be praying for. We're human bodies and we take in food and we have basic needs. And, you know, Christ came in the flesh. He put on skin and bones and he walked among us. He pitched his tent, a tent that was, as we'll see, temporary as well. But let's make sure that we understand we talk about things that are out there. It's not just like some, you know, ethereal being floating around with wings that we're discussing, and that's what we're living for. No, this life matters also. There's a lot of physicality in the Bible. When Jesus rose from the dead, one of the first things he did was he had fish with a group of people. He actually ate it to show he was a body. And the resurrection, then, is not just some sort of eternal existence detached from a body. It's very physical, And yet there is an ending point to our current physical bodies. The image that Paul uses here is that our bodies are like a tent. And that's something that's only designed to be a temporary home. My my guess is for most of you, if I say, hey, I got a great home to sell you, and you show up and it's a tent that I put together with a pole and a couple pieces of branches and some things thrown over the top, you'd say, this isn't really a home. It might be temporary. Maybe overnight I can stay in this too. And anything I construct, you probably wouldn't even want to stay overnight in that thing too. So this is temporary. The images, our bodies are just, they're temporary homes. And Paul's been talking a lot about temporary and eternal already in the passages before. He continues building on that. No pun intended. (laughs) And we don't have to be convinced of that, do we? You know your body is just temporary. There's, There's a time stamp on it. When you're young, you wonder maybe if you're the one exception, you're going to live eternally. And then you start aging and you realize there's stuff going on that isn't right. And eventually we all have a date when we, have a, a, when we die. And you go to, to the local cemetery and you see a starting date and an end date on, on people's lives. And that's true for all of us. So we know that this is kind of temporary. The question then becomes, is there anything next? Is there more beyond that? Is there hope for something else? And Paul says with great confidence, yes. He is convinced there is a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. In John 14, uh, Jesus starts talking about leaving, and it troubles his disciples. So he says, 
Hey, look, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. I am going there to prepare a place for you. So part of what Jesus is doing is constructing, and of course we know he was a carpenter, a building in which we will dwell. And he wants that to be a point of confidence. That's the hope of the believer. Death is not the end, but rather, says Paul, the entry point to something far better. In fact, he goes on to say that our earthly sufferings and limitations point to longings fulfilled only in heaven. This is really fascinating. Paul says, look, we groan because things are not working as they ought. We have a longing for things to be different. We know something better. The reason that we suffer is because we know that we long to be healthy. You know what it's like if you've had an extended bout of sickness or you're ill and you just feel normal. You don't realize how awesome it is to feel normal until you're sick. And then all of a sudden, like, normal is the baseline of awesomeness. It's incredible. You're just trying to get back to normal most of your life as you age. And some of us are we're fighting against age as well to, and, and, and the aches and the pains. But Paul uses that imagery because our tents are only temporary. And so we groan and we long in the midst of our suffering to be clothed with something that does not break. And there's no more shame, no more pain and it will cease to exist. And some of you know, just spoiler alert, because the Bible, let's talk about what that looks like at the very end. Just a reminder of a glimpse that John gets when he's writing his book called Revelation of what this will look like at the very end. It's in Revelation 21. And there we read this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's the vision of heaven that John has and that Paul begins to glimpse as well, that there's a time when we are swallowed up with life because everything is trending towards new and eternal. This is just temporary. And so that's why in the previous verses he said, our, our sorrows by comparison to the glory to be revealed are small. And your suffering is real, uh, but on a comparison scale, that's how grand the glory is that is yet to come. And Paul gets captivated by this picture of these temporary tents and the suffering and the groaning we have be nothing by comparison to what is to come. So our earthly longings, the one that we actually, the ones that we have, they signal that we yearn for heaven, and they also give us a glimpse of what heaven will be like. In other words, what we long for now is a reflection of what we get in its best form in heaven. Any longings you have. So on the kind of negative side, suffering gone, but on the positive side, even the longings you have that are some sometimes temporarily met in this earth are just glimpses of what is to come in heaven. I, you know, when I go through this text like that at the end of it, hopefully we're like, I cannot wait for heaven. 
Because this is a beautiful picture of what is to come. And we know it by contrast by the suffering that we experience now. Paul says we groan, we yearn to be clothed with something imperishable, something that doesn't break. And his main focus in this passage, and really in Corinthians so far, is to highlight this reality so we can gain strength in the face of suffering. As we said, because any earthly suffering is temporary. And on the flip side, any joy we have is just temporary and incomplete as well. It passes away pretty quickly. But in heaven, everything will be as we long for it to be. Fully redeemed and fully restored. That's what we are yearning for. Some of you may be familiar with Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven. He points out, he starts imagining what that might be like. So we have certain sounds that we know exist in a frequency that we can't hear with our ears right now. You know that if you have a dog, for example, and you blow a whistle, and the dog's like, what's going on? And you're like, I don't hear anything. So he imagines with fully redeemed bodies, and we know they're coming because Christ was the first fruits, he's already argued, so we will be like him in that way. Bodies that no longer are perishable and perhaps are able to hear all of the sounds that are present that we can't currently imagine. And you won't need a hearing aid to do it. It's just there. All And imagine the music then that could be written with sounds that we can't even comprehend now. And the delight, if you like listening to music and you put the beats on and jack it up to 10, great. There's nothing compared to what's coming. Or if you're the more contemplative type who just likes the soothing bubbling brook or something like that, there's going to be sounds there too that we don't know about either. And when you hear that soothing sound, that soothing comfort that comes, and those of you who listen to music 24-7 because it does something to your soul, that's just a glimpse of a longing that's not going to be fully satisfied now because you lose your AirPods. (laughs) Or you lose connectivity. Or somebody doesn't like the same songs that you're listening to. Those things are all indications that something is coming. And we long for it. The human heart is designed for that. He wonders with sight as well if maybe that's different based on Revelation 4 where John can't describe the throne room of God. He does the best he can likening the colors to gems. So are there colors that will be present we can't quite see yet? Are they dip deeper and, and richer? Just imagine a palette with an artist taking and having infinite number of colors from which to draw. Or maybe food. I like food. I love food. <laughs> I enjoy food so much. I love lots of different flavors. In fact, I'd be interested. What is your favorite dish that you have. I mean, I'm going to take the macaroni and cheese and chicken tenders out of the equation. And especially for those of you maybe who aren't, uh, for you, you don't feel like home is the United States. I just want to hear some of your favorite dishes. Biryani. Biryani. You got to yell it out loud. Eggs Benedict. Eggs Benedict. <laughs> what else? Steak? Oh, ribeye steak. Is that what you said? Oh, strip steak. <laughs> yeah. Okay, a Sunday morning brunch. Royal scallops. Oh, Royal scallops. Ooh. 
don't know what they are, but it sounds amazing. <laughs> no scallops, I don't know the royal part. What else? Bread pudding. Bread pudding? Okay, I know we could do this for a little while. People here know I like chocolatel. <laughs> I, I love that. And I, I like lots of flavors. And so I'm looking forward to the image of a supper where we're all sitting down and feasting. And all the benefits that come from that delight of flavors, and flavors we don't even know about yet. And if you like something, it's just the texture and the richness and the flavors of it are fantastic. And you apparently aren't getting full like Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> there's no tryptophan that happens on the back end of it. So there's a, there's a beautiful picture of things not trending toward decay, but being as they were intended to be, and even more so. Trent Casto reports that we are born with 9,000 taste buds, but starting at age 40, they begin decreasing in number and shrinking in how they you know, taste things, which explains why my 90-year-old grandfather carried Tabasco sauce with him everywhere and just dumped it on everything that he had just so he could taste anything whatsoever. So foods lose their power and their distinctiveness. And, and he says this, we know some of this, but just consider the fact that we gradually lose our vision, hearing, mobility, memory, and processing ability. Given these sad losses, I'm tempted to conclude, that's depressing. I just want to go back to being 21. But upon reflection, I don't want to go back. I want to go forward. The best is not behind us. The best is yet to come. And that's the image you think about that. What age would you want to be? You think about being 21 or something. Okay, there's a lot of benefits to that, but there's a lot not to like about that age. You know, who am I? What am I doing? Where, there's so much still to figure out. Your best is yet to come, he says, based on this text. Every suffering small by comparison to the weight of glory, and every delight is a mere foretaste of what is to come. And you begin to get a picture of the fullness of redemption when you think about these things. And so our longing, Paul says, isn't for less of a home. It's for more of a home. And this Thanksgiving, for example, if you're missing home, some of you won't get to go home. Some of you, uh, Thanksgiving's new. But it might signal something that says it's a picture of families gathering together, you know, sharing a meal, sharing memories and smiling. That's the beautiful picture of it. It doesn't always happen that way, does it? But let's th say that that's your image of it, the sights and the smells and, and the relationships. Uh, but if you're missing home, let this sink in and point you to heaven. Those longings for what is not being satisfied in you, they're to come. They will be satisfied. They will be. So take your aching and your suffering that is real and translate that into a longing for something to come. And for those of us maybe who have that perfect image, let this reality sink in as well. This is just a shadow compared to what is to come in heaven. As great as the moment is, it will be gone. People will go home. The turkey will run out. Uh, you'll go to bed. What, it's, and it's a new day. And then you... It's just a signal, a foretaste of what is to come. And Paul says, look, if you really understand that, then all this groaning, it means something. Because we are made, he says, for heaven. We're not home yet. And that's what he says in verse 5. Now it is God who has made us 
for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. In other words, he says we are actually made for heaven. He's, he's given us his Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come and his purpose is for us to be clothed with this heavenly dwelling. It's pretty straightforward. It's not a diminishment of the value of our physical lives now. In fact, this puts a stronger weight on the value of now, on the value of present. People who are Christians who understand this message don't just say, I'm just hanging on for heaven and it doesn't matter what happens now. In fact, in verse 10, he makes it very clear. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. What we do now matters. And in fact, it matters into eternity. And C.S. Lewis has made this point before in Mere Christianity. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. So that's the, the target. You're just living for this life. It's all you're going to get. If you're living with a, a view to heaven as well, you'll get this plus. You're on this, this plus plan. T-Mobile can't compete with that. This is, this is amazing. Can we really know that heaven is ours? And Paul says yes. The spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Kind of this building imagery again. Some of us know that if you want to buy a house and you don't have enough uh, money for it in total, you'll, you'll put a deposit down on it and they say it's yours. You haven't paid for it fully yet, but it's yours because it's a deposit that guarantees. And that's what the Holy Spirit is, he says, for the Christian. And how do we receive the Spirit? Trusting in Christ. This is what Paul has been talking about so much in the early chapters. His great focus up until now is that the gospel he preaches is Christ and him crucified on our behalf so we can live for God now and into eternity. And in fact, Paul and others would suggest the deepest desire of every heart is the presence of God himself. Did you catch that in Revelation 21? He will be with God is with us. We are his people. We belong to him. That's, that's the most beautiful part of heaven. All the things that you desire that come as a part of that flow from that reality. The presence of God with his people. All made right. This is a picture back in Genesis chapter 1 of when God created everything and it was all good. And everything was good, good, in fact. And there was complete shalom, complete peace. Every relationship was in right working order till sin entered the world and death with it. And so Christ comes and says, I'm going to deal with the problem by dying and raising a guest from the dead as a down payment of what is to come for those who trust in me. But it's that restored fellowship we're longing for. Jonathan Edwards says this back in the day, 1733. He says, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows 
But the enjoyment of God is the substance. There are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but scattered seams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. So I hope you see it doesn't minimize the value of friendships and relationships. But if, if you feel like that's what you long for, it's only a shadow of the deeper longing of your soul that can only be found in God. Paul seems to be saying the same thing that this quote does too. And he says, if, if I, you know, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And I know some of you might be thinking, yes, but if I die now, I wouldn't get to fill in the blank. See the Denver Broncos win another Super Bowl. <laughs> or whatever it is that's exciting for you. <clears throat> See Joe Burrow go through a whole season without getting injured. Whatever it is that you... you and actually, I think that's okay. Because that signals a longing you have for a time when. So Paul's saying, as great as that is, something better is to come. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. See, it doesn't minimize the now and the things you desire. It just shows, puts them in the right context for what is to come. And Paul says that matters. Just to look at the next few verses more quickly in verses 6 through 10. So what? Because he says, therefore, since we, this is all true, he says, first of all, we are of good courage. In, in chapter, or verses 6 and 8, both. He says, therefore, we, we're confident. And other translations say we're of good courage. And that's kind of the sense of it, too. And again, in verse 8, we're confident that we'd prefer to be away from the body. But as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, we can be confident of good courage. In other words, suffering points us to heaven. And that reality gives us strength to endure. That's what he means by being of good courage. He's already said in the previous verses, don't lose heart. Don't give up. So, so when you suffer, then, be of good courage. And, and take that opportunity to consider what is to come. And I think that hope is something that can give you endurance. But it's also a hope that's only available to the Christian. At least according to the Bible. What else do you have to hope for? This might be the best that ever comes. This could be it. And so Paul says, he recognizes too that actually we live by faith. And not by sight. There's a lot of contrast here. There's the seen and the unseen. And so we believe that our faith is based on historical things that occurred. But there's a lot we really can't see looking forward. And we fix our eyes on, on Christ. But that seems kind of... Hard to grasp. A little easier to fix your eyes on this stand right here. And so there is faith, and faith is with, there's a reason to have it, but there's also an element of trust in what is to come. So we, we, we've been given God's word to, to grow in that faith and each other as well, but sight is not our guidepost. Faith is. There's a whole bunch of people who never saw Christ come. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Faith. And the idea there is that same thing, that faith isn't something that we can see. But there are a lot of people who are promised the Messiah, Christ, who we look back on. They were looking forward, and they never saw him come during their lifetime. Here's how the author of Hebrews says it. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting 
that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own, right? A true home. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They were looking forward to home too. And they breathed their last and it hadn't come yet. But by faith, because they trusted then, when they breathe their last, they're joined. Their souls are joined with God in heaven. A, a heaven that is kind of outside the concept of time, but still awaits full consummation when Christ returns and they receive their resurrection bodies with amazing flavor-tasting abilities. And those of you who long to be able to sing well, on pitch, on key, harmonize, you're going to do that. I mean, it's going to be amazing. Ariana Grande will be like sounding like chalk on a, on a chalkboard. Whoever you're, Michael Buble will be like, a little pitchy there, bro. <laughs> and that longing that we have, we do receive, but it is by faith as well. And so if that's the case, if you're living by faith, one of the things that translates into is having a desire to please him. And Paul says we make it our goal to please him. So whether we're at home or in the body or away from it, this is what we're doing. I'm living for him. He says elsewhere, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's in Galatians 1.10. We want to please those whom we love. I mean, we, we fail at doing it sometimes, but there's an intent, a desire there too. And this is the relationship of the believer who's trusted in Christ with God. My life is orienting around pleasing him. Not so I can earn his approval, but to show the gratitude I have of somebody who's rescued me and given me this kind of hope. So you ask questions as best you can. What do I do to please? We don't know all the answers. Now we see in part, and that is why we're given others. But if the intent of your heart is to please God, that's an indicator that you're living by faith. And there's, there's, there's a bit of a challenge here, isn't there, at the end? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And Paul here is talking about what you might call due recompense, not ultimate destiny. In other words, if you're in Christ, at this vision of the judgment, there is a, there's a moment when you're held accountable for what you've done. How have you stewarded your life, good or bad? But the ultimate destiny we know is Christ stands and says, I've got this. He's your advocate. So there's, there's this glimpse at the end of Kind of like having to give account for what you've done. And the final destiny is with Christ, but there's, there's some stewardship issues that you have to wrestle with now too. How am I using the resources God's given me? Am I leveraging them for his pleasure and not just for my own? It's not to minimize that God has again come into flesh and given us pleasures. They're great, but they're not the ultimate end. You cannot serve both God and money, he says. One of them has to be the ultimate end. So it does inform the way that you use your resources. And there's a little bit here of an issue of saying, am I really seeking to please him with all that he's entrusted to me? 
And it begs the question, do you know that heaven will be your home? I mean, when you think about where's your home, as Christians, we're told our citizenship ultimately is in heaven. That's where we live. So you've gotten a dress maybe now, or you come from a different country, and in a sense, that's your home. Are you going home for the holidays? When you say, yes, there's always an asterisk kind of there too, because it's not really your final destination. But don't minimize the reality that that longing for home points you to where you're actually headed at the same time. But do you know you're headed there? How do you get there? You know, Jesus in John 14, his disciples were saying the same thing we said earlier. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And one of them says, oh, what's the address? What's the GPS? Let me, let me dial it in here. Starting point here, destination heaven. And Jesus gives them an answer. Give them the you know, longitude and latitude. But he says, you want to get there? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes, gets to the Father except through me. You want to get to heaven? He's the pathway. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. It doesn't happen. Death is swallowed up by life. And Christ is the one who punched the ticket. He paid the ultimate price. And you, by faith, just receiving him. It's not just a ticket to get to heaven, obviously. Because Paul says, you're misunderstanding what grace is all about. This changes the way you think about everything. And your desires are to please him now. And then everything that you have in this life, as good as it is, you know there's better to come. And as bad as, bad as it is, you realize that's being translated by God and redeemed by him into a glory that you can't even begin to understand. I'll close with this quote again from C.S. Lewis in some essays collected called The Weight of Glory. He says, The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust in them. It, trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. For they are not the thing itself. They are the, only the scent of a flower we may have found, we, we have not found. The echo of a tune we have not heard. News from country we have never visited. So don't confuse if you're caught up in a moment of, of beauty, uh, of music, to think that's the thing that is the end. That stirs up a longing and points to the real thing. It's, that's the shadow. And who is the substance? Well, when Christ came, we said we, be, we have seen him and beheld his glory. The glory of the one and only he came, who came full of grace and truth. Those things, those moments of beauty and rapture that we have are only pointing us to the true substance, who is Christ himself. And that's the longing of the human heart. And the only way you'll know that full satisfaction, according to Paul, is if you're in Christ. So I, I hope this Thanksgiving, wherever you are on, on that map of pain and suffering or joy and elation or anything in between too, you'll, you'll see those longings are only met in the person of Christ. There is no other way. And that's the real hope that's held out by the gospel and by Paul as he says we're all longing for home. Father, I pray for our own hearts wherever we may be. And I know some people are really struggling here this morning, um, maybe emotionally, maybe spiritually, perhaps even physically. And there is hope in the midst of that 
if we believe what is true here, well, we believe what Paul has said to be true, that that present suffering is nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory. It doesn't minimize the suffering and the pain. In fact, we have a Savior who knows what it means to suffer. So thank you for your presence with us. And we experience and know some of that presence. It can be fleeting, it feels like at times, but it's just a picture of that eternal presence that we'll have with you when all of our longings are truly satisfied. And I pray you'd expose our hearts too where we are trusting in things too much, this side of heaven, that we would be able to hold loosely to the things that you've given us, but also steward them well, that our true desire would be to live for your glory and not for our own. Thanks for your patience with us and your grace extended infinitely in Christ. Well, we've stumble to figure that out and we, we know that he is for us always and he proved that by going to the cross and then gave us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come for those of us maybe who don't know that but see that we do long for something may we say yes to Christ today and for those who maybe have known it but have forgotten may this be a reminder that the home we're longing for will come and may that strengthen us for the journey. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.